What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to giftedperformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by, and without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the GPP, the Gifted Performance Podcast, where we provide the information and practical insight to improve your own general physical preparedness. How about that, Tom? Pretty good one, right? I didn't even, I didn't even tell you that one was coming. That was a good one. Just made that up. I'm, uh, I'm, as I have been on the past couple episodes, I'm flanked by my two favorite co-hosts. We've got Gifted's own head of tactical performance, Annie Romada. Annie? What's the word on the streets of Virginia? The word on the streets is good. Everything is going well. The uh, For those that are wondering, the United States uh, Department of Defense is still a hot mess with selections. So we're getting through that, but everything else is really good. I moved. Good. The cross country moves over. I'm stable. Everything's good. Deep breath. Deep breath. <laughs> Let it out. And we've got our other co-host, known simply as TomBot2000. He's mostly ones and zeros, but he's also our hero. Tom, how are you? I'm fine. Good, good. And of course, finally, our last one, our guest of honor today, a man who barely needs an introduction, Kier Wenhamflat, or simply rugby strength coach. Kier, what are the latest happenings with you? What's going on? Well, we touched on it a little bit before, but I'm, uh, as of two weeks ago, I'm fun employed, which means that bum. I get to have tons of fun. <laughs> so I'm, um, yeah, you know, just like getting busy with a bunch of new projects that I've, I've got planned for uh, the remainder of this year and next year. You want to touch on any of those, on those projects? Top secret? Well, I mean, I've, I've told one person before, but you know, I'm kind of getting it out there now. Um, I, I have strength coach network, which is like an education platform for coaches. So the plan for the next three months or so is to continue to grow that and, you know, refine that and hopefully, Use, use the newly available time to put out a lot more um, resources for coaches and, and really get the user experience to where I want it to be. And in the new year, uh, the goal is to put the uh, CSCCA and UKCA out of business by developing a certification for field sport strength and conditioning coaches. And that is going to be a three-module deal where it's hopefully just going to be like a complete 360 career development resource for, for coaches. So if you accept the argument that there's this massive disconnect between what the certifying bodies say is important, what students are taught in higher education and what the elite level actually demands, the goal is to try and fill those gaps. So it, it, what I've kind of given myself the brief of, of writing down on a postcard is if I could lock you in a room for a weekend, what information would I want to get into your head that is going to advance you to the next step? So level one is going to be, how do you get a job? Level two is going to be, how do you, how do you become a director? 
And level three is going to be, now that you're a director, how are you going to win championships? So it's going to be the full kind of gamut, you know, um, organizational psychology, hiring and firing, career longevity, financial robustness, design of sport practice, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, data processing and interpretation. So it's all the stuff that when you arrive at an institution, you're like, well, I've got my UKCA, I've got my CSCCA, I'm ready. All the stuff that slaps you in the face and realize you're not ready, that's what the gap we're trying to fill. Yeah, I think Tom was actually talking about um, just the Strength Coach Network and some of the, the people that you have that, that you know that are on there that are really enjoying it. Oh, yeah. My, uh, my brother signed up, and he's, he's purely a hobbyist. He does uh, jiu-jitsu and climbs. And so uh, he kind of got out of this idea, well, you know, th there's no good information on the Internet that's not, like, uh, sort of uh, hidden away and gate-kept. And um, he, he joined Strength Coach Network, and I think he honestly spends more time on Strength Coach Network watching seminars than he does working right now. Like, like he, he's working from home. <laughs> so he's, yeah, he's, he's an engineer. He's doing his, his work, and then he's, he's <laughs> you know, learning constantly and uh he, he's wearing me out with text messages every day he's like you know i learned about this today and what do you think about this you know slow down buddy <laughs> you, you I, I can... on the, uh, the business development side of that and that is something that 10 years ago had i had any type of mentorship outside of uh physiology who knows how many bumps and bruises I would have I would have avoided. So that's going to be a huge add to the to the industry. So kudos to you. Someone had to do it. Glad to see someone's doing it. Hey, you know, I'll I'll, I'll give it a try. I'm not saying I'm, uh, you know, like a millionaire or financial whiz, but I think it's it's one of those things where I I always kind of talk about I I was aged perfectly to graduate as the financial crisis hit. And that is a huge wake up call for anyone that's around the age of like 35, where you realize, well, actually, my parents' generation, I don't know how old everyone else, how old everyone else is, but you know, our parents' generation, my parents' generation is the last generation where the recipe commit yourself to one organization, keep your mouth shut, toe the line, and they'll look after you has was true. It's a lie. So particularly in a field like strength and conditioning where the competition for jobs, certainly in the college sector, and, and now it's getting to the point with uh, tactical as well because that's where the overflow from college goes to, there is a race to the bottom in terms of wages. And it's such an arbitrary field where people can get hired and fired based on, oh, well, I'm not that coach's guy or girl. Uh, you have to fortify yourself against that stuff so you have to be understanding the need for secondary income putting money away how to position yourself and negotiate to get above that race to the bottom and start to dictate your your value to organizations and i think it's it was almost a blessing in disguise to experience that in 2008 2009 because this march you're like, yep, here comes another one of those. And it's like, I actually feel bad for people, you know, a little bit younger that have not experienced this before. But hopefully they'll be, they'll be ready for the next one. Yeah. Yeah, I think Here's we all graduated that... at the same time. And it's rough, it's rough learning experience for sure. Yes. 
I did want to circle back to you said that you, your goal was or one of your goals was to put the CSCCA out of business. And I work in higher education. I'm an adjunct instructor. I teach the CSCS prep course and I have the same feelings that you have. Like this simply isn't going to prepare these kids. And I'm probably going to get fired if my higher ups hear this. If my <laughs> students hear this, they're going to stop showing up to class or slap me in the face. I just don't feel that it does a good job of prepping the coach to deal with all that goes into coaching. Yes, it teaches the science. Yes, it teaches some of the testing. Yes, it teaches some of the data interpretation. But where are some of the other areas, and this might be a longer conversation, but where are some of the other areas that you feel that those testing formats actually fall flat? Well, it's, I'll, I'll say this. Certainly the NSCA serve a useful purpose. In truth, I think the CSCCA exists because there were people that didn't want to take the NSCA certification. They're like, fuck this, we're going to start our own group. So in my mind, the NSCA is the pioneer. They've served a useful purpose. And there is some merit to what they do. Um, in terms of the CSCS, the weakness of that certification accreditation is in, in order to develop an assessment that could be rolled out to tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of professionals across a country as large as the US and the you know other countries in the world, it has to be a kind of repeatable exam-based format in order to do that but then it loses value in the real world and the idea that you can decide you know this person's a qualified coach or we can we can say with a high degree of confidence that they can go into x environment and contribute to the the functioning of that organization is flawed so there is merit to that certification but it's by no means complete. So if, if you look at when people come in with a CSCS, what are they good at? What are they bad at? Well, what, what are they okay at? They're good at basic weight room exercises. They know how many feet should be between racks and how many air cycles per <laughs> hour. Um, they, they know all the, all the legal stuff, refer for this. Uh, contraindication for that, blah, 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 which is basically don't kill anyone. But in order to, for me to demonstrate value as a strength and condition coach, it boils down to, are you going to help that organization win? And it, this is where the nuance comes because winning in a tactical environment, I'm sure is very, very different to winning in a professional sports environment is very different to a private sector is very different to um, youth development. But what I missed coming up was the understanding or how to break down the model of, well, what does winning look like and how do you reverse engineer it? Because if you, if you really want to get into the weeds, there's a book I read this year called The Book of Why by Judea Pearl. And I've been telling everyone this, you know, read this book. Have you ever heard the phrase, or the, the argument, correlation is not causation. Of course. Okay, what is causation? It's a direct relationship. 
with a uh, a mechanistic uh, underpinning, right? How, how do you how do you demonstrate it? It's really hard, right? No, nobody ever teaches you this. But if you're a strength and conditioning coach, you should be highly interested in causation. If I do X, Y is going to happen. So one of the things he says in that book is you cannot answer a question that you have not asked and you cannot ask a question that you do not have words for. So who here is a strength and conditioning coach has ever sat down in a room with all of their superiors, all of their coworkers and said, right, what does success look like? Very, very rare in my opinion. Even fewer take that definition of success and say, okay, now that we've defined what success is, how are we going to measure it in a reliable and quantifiable way? And once we've done that, can we break that metric down into its constituent parts and reverse engineer it from where we are now, uh, where, you know, where we want to be to where we are now? And then can we come up with a plan to bridge the gap between where we are and where we want to be in the most efficient uh, manner possible that lends itself to longevity and all that kind of stuff? And it just doesn't happen because when you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So you're, you're a strength and conditioning coach. You go into the environment, you say, right, power clean, back squat, blah, 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 blah. And it's like that's the, the methods as opposed to the principles. So what I would like to do is if, if I can't answer those questions for coaches, I would at least like to plant the seed because most strength coaches in my experience are intellectually curious enough that if you just make the light bulb go off, they'll start seeking those answers. But really – nobody ever forced me to ask those questions of myself in my early 20s Very so that's good. that's really interesting so uh or along those lines i guess you're kind of talking about a, a way to quantify something that's more of a qualitative process because you know you, you think about well the goal for any sports coach or any uh prep coach for a sports team is to win right well winning mm -hmm. is really not a, uh, a well-defined thing quantitatively. You have more points than the other team. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so much of that is uh, tactical, technical, you know, who's available on that day, you know, yeah. conditions, all of that. And these are things that, you know, you can't really nail down in a, a weight room or True. watch. Well, it's, 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 a, it's a hard question to ask, to, yeah. to answer, right? But because it's a hard question to answer, doesn't mean that you throw out the question altogether. So it, it, obviously it's, it's, it's multifactorial, but there, I, I kind of thought about this last month. Can you imagine if uh, there was a congressional hearing or a Senate hearing and they brought in this general or whatever and said, okay, we gave you $100 billion to achieve the following outcome, which is multifactorial give us your uh, your latest you say well you know we had a good feeling about this and all the staff really feel good about this direction that we're going in and our hunch is that we're moving in the right it's going to bear fruit soon they would be like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> how, how about we've given you all this money we've given you all these resources why don't you define an outcome and we'll, we'll do our best to measure how close we all you know are we moving towards the outcome and that's basically what happens in sport. I, I agree. Yeah, it's, it's a really difficult question to ask with a lot of different factors, but it, it still serves the organization and the members within the organization to try to um, 
attempt to quantify it, even if it is subjective and qualitative. So, for example, if you read uh, Game Changer or The Process by um, Fergus Connolly, Cameron Joss, you, for example, you say, well, you know, I'll give you a real example that I had this year. And say, oh, we don't look fit. Okay, Socrates, the beginning of wisdom lies in the definition of terms. What do you mean by fit? And you say, okay, it's an inability to sustain a given output on the field of play for, you know, the, the duration of the game. Well, it's input and it's output. You can, you can look a lot fitter by being a lot better at your sport. The best conditioning program on earth is don't make a mistake and don't give away penalties. Or nutrition, uh, anxiety, temperature, fatigue, uh, i.e. sleep, uh, supplementation, hydration. Um, all these are the, the refereeing style, how the opposition play, how well they're exploiting your weaknesses, how well you're playing in a position of strength. All of those things, everyone would agree, can make you appear more or less conditioned not even touched on training yet. And this is, this is the issue. It's like you have to have that mental framework to understand all of the factors that affect the thing that you're looking at. And then you have to try and be as objective as you can and say, okay, well, how is our nutrition? How are we tactically? What is our, our skill development like? What is our uh, aerobic capacity or alactic capacity like? And then you just you break down all of those different factors. So you're, you're trying to understand systems and you're trying to identify rate limiting factors within those systems so for example if you have a plant uh that is kept in the dark is more nutritious soil going to help that plant grow no it's going to be sunlight if you have a team full of athletes with a vo2 max of 65 and they suck at their sport is more maximal aerobic speed intervals going to address the problem no. So it has to be this shared model of reality within anyone that touches the athlete has to have a shared model of reality because you and I need to have a, a shared definition of what it is we're trying to achieve in order to approach the problem objectively and come up with how we're going to allocate our resources to address those rate limiting factors because if the head coach has one idea of conditioning in their head, the strength coach has another idea of conditioning in their head. They both point the finger at one another and you don't actually come up with an agreed upon course of action. I really, I really like that. Uh, the word you use there, the mention, the, the constraints based model. Um, that's something with, with my athletes and with Ryan, uh, I handle his programming too. That's something that I try to uh, use as a general framework for directing where we go. And that, that's, I think something people get caught up in the nuts and bolts and like, uh, you know, the textbook definitions of periodization and phases and whatever else they're doing. And mm -hmm. they lose the big picture of why they're doing something at a given time. And uh, I think that that's a really, really interesting point, really interesting way to phrase that. Tom, you want to talk nuts and bolts? Let's get into some nuts and bolts. All right. So, all right. So, just general how we'll kind of go with the the discussion moving forward from that introduction i'm going to give you guys a broad question and i'm going to do exactly what i just did right there i'm going to sit back and i'm not going to let any dumbass words come tri trickling out of my mouth no <laughs> terrible jokes no input with words that don't make sense or don't fit into the conversation i'm going to do my best i might even i might even mute myself just in case this so, will be Ryan first yeah you'll just you'll just see my mouth going even though i'm muted 
Um, all right, so our first question, Kier, I'll throw it to you. Um, it's about programming for athletes who place a premium on being both powerful and endurance. So Tom defined this as what you would call like a polarized athlete. So what would be kind of your overarching program design philosophies for an athlete who has both of those at the forefront of their sport? Well, I mean, the challenge is with that is that you're, you're tending to pull the athlete in two different physiological directions at once. Yep. So what you have to, to try and do is um, one stimulus at one time. Mixed stimulus, mixed results. So training power and endurance together within the same session is going to be less productive than a power session and an endurance session. So once you kind of accept that fact, what you're trying to do is deliver an, uh, a powerful, singular, focused stimulus in the direction that you want the body to go, then to try and provide it with as much opportunity as possible to adapt to that stimulus. And then you kind of move, move the goalposts. And that is basically what you touched on called like the, the polarized model um, of, of development. And you also have to understand that Typically in, I'll call it like a, a mixed power endurance sport. Like we're, we're basically talking about team, team and combat sports. Um, you have to understand that the activity that you're training for is not going to be sufficient to optimally develop the qualities that underpin that. So the whole reason that strength and conditioning coaches in, in team-based sports have a job is because that statement is true. If it was, you could just train the sport and you'd be, you'd be perfectly prepared for that. And what you tend to see is that in terms of absolute output, laying in bed, all out alactic effort for two or three seconds or you know less than six seconds, team sports and combat sports tend to hover around the middle for a variety of reasons. You just can't sustain those outputs for the duration of the, the sport. You're slowing yourself down in order to make um, technical, tactical decisions, incomplete rest periods, all that kind of stuff. So what you have to do is work backwards from that and say, okay, based on the, the intensity of the sport, you have to make a concerted effort to train above the intensity of that sport because you're going to be stimulating qualities and adaptations that contribute to that and below that because, again, you're not hitting that zone due to the nature of the sport. So I think that's a, a couple of things that you can do to, to work against that for sure. So kind of uh, looking at the, uh, the concept of, of raising the, the ceiling and raising the floor mm -hmm. gets you, get you there faster than maybe staying in the middle all the time. Absolutely. Medium only works in clothing, but <laughs> it's, it's like it's, it's that, that, that continuum of development versus expression. Mm -hmm. So especially in uh, tactical, technical uh, sports, team sports, combat sports, you're not always going to see the guy that comes first on the fitness test look the most conditioned on the field of play because you're, you're talking again about input versus output or supply versus demand. You can have a great engine, but if you don't know how to pace and be strategic and be lazy, being lazy in a game is a good thing as long as you're achieving the same tactical outcome you're not necessarily going to appear to be the most conditioned player on the field. So what you have to do as the coaches, you have to provide opportunities to do both and understand when's the right time to do one versus the other. So typically late preseason, um, 
you know, friendly games, non-conference, that is where you're, you're tailoring activities to replicate the game or the worst case scenarios of the game so that they can learn how to fully express the qualities that have been developed in previous blocks. But then the further away from the season you get more like early preseason off season, you're going to be training far above and far below the intensity of the game to stimulate those qualities that the game doesn't so that you can effectively increase the, uh, the total potential and then tap into it later. So almost uh, in a, uh, a broader uh, sense of periodicity, you're talking about taking, uh, funneling those diverse attributes down into the, the sporting form. Absolutely. Yeah, realization of sporting form. And then Tom, I think you had something to add about um, integrating some aerobic capacity development, a question there. Oh yeah, um, I know that uh, I, I've seen you post a ton about this and talk about it a ton on your social media and uh, and it's something that I've used with uh, my uh, my athletes that are, are more polar and, and for my, my personal context is, is I mostly work with uh, either strength athletes that have some interest in like an endurance sport um, mm -hmm. or uh, athletes that are, uh, we, we won't use the brand name, but we'll say competitive exercisers for time. And uh, <laughs> and, uh, and something that and I know that you've talked a lot about uh, tempo running um, and uh, and developing uh, overall aerobic capacity in a more alactic context, mm -hmm. I guess. And um, and so, you know, maybe maybe interested to hear more of your thoughts on that and uh, and specifics on on the methods. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's, there's a, a variety of different reasons why, why the aerobic system is, is so, uh, so important, which is, you know, if, if you look at team sports, I'll talk about team sports because that's, that's where I live, but if, if you look at team sports, look at the pattern of activity, it's typically uh a game in which events are punctuated by high intensity one-on-one -on -one confrontations or actions mm -hmm. if you imagine in your mind's eye you know you have your your uh your stores of uh, creatine phosphate atp all that kind of stuff and you know that when you perform a high intensity action because it's effectively an arms race, you versus me, I'm going to go a bit harder, you're going to go a bit harder. Effectively, every interaction that we have is going to be maximum or, or close to. There's going to be a significant depletion of, of ATP and um, creatine phosphate. In between, we're interspersing those high-intensity efforts with sub-maximal activity. And when we talk about submaximal activity or, or low intensity activity, we're effectively talking about operating below the critical power. Or so the, um, yeah, uh, critical power below the threshold that allows us to resynthesize intracellular stores of ATP, PCR. And the bigger the difference between the critical power and the, the intensity that we're working at, the more slack that can be taken up by the aerobic system to facilitate that. The bigger the difference, the faster the resynthesis. The smaller the difference, the slower the resynthesis. Mm -hmm. So from an aerobic perspective, we actually, like you said, we want to make um, the threshold as high as possible, and we want to make the rate that we're working at as low as possible. 
And this is basically the aerobic system. You know, you're, you're not going to resynthesize creatine phosphate faster by being more reliant on anaerobic energy production. So there's that. If you look at the sustainability of effectively call it like a, a strategy to meet energy demands, you, you by all means can be more uh, anaerobic in your solution to a movement-based problem. But what happens if you have to do it the next day and the next day and the next day? That is the kind of fatigue that mounts up over time and can push athletes into a hole. Whereas if you look at aerobic athletes, they may generate the same fatigue on the same day, but by, by the time they come back tomorrow, they're going to be more uh, recovered than the more anaerobic athlete. And this is where you have to factor in stuff like, for example, rugby sevens. You're going to play, if you have a really good weekend, eight games in a weekend, which is highly fatiguing. Um, if you look at aerobic function as an indicator of all-cause mortality in general, in terms of HRV, in terms of recovery status, it is in your interest to be a more aerobic athlete. So it's not to say that the anaerobic pathways are not important for um, energy production, meeting demands of activity. It's just that certainly in the early 2000s, there was just a huge pendulum swift, uh, shift towards you only need anaerobic energy production. And the, 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 the truth is you actually need to be highly aerobic. If you look at the stuff from Omega Wave, um, even uh, athletes competing in highly alactic anaerobic events still have a significantly higher VO2 max than regular people because you're an aerobic being. You, you need a well-developed aerobic system to be healthy and robust and to recover from the demands that you place in the system. Given yeah. that information, well, and that's very much true. We all agree that your your recovery comes and depends on a good aerobic base. Mm -hmm. um, given time constraints, two questions I have. One is given time constraints, mm -hmm. and also making um, having athletes understand why they need to develop their aerobic system because it's not the sexiest thing in the world. It's no. not. It's no one's favorite thing. Nobody I, I've worked with, it's yeah. no I've been like, yes, 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 I'm, I'm down for my aerobic conditioning, boring, boring ass work. Um, how do you get through to your athletes? Hey, I know this is kind of boring and I know that this is, is taking a little bit of time. It's incredibly important. And how do you get that through to your sport coaches? Yeah, well, this is the problem with aerobic versus anaerobic conditioning mm. is it true that you can develop anaerobic power capacity with four minutes of all-out activity yes is it sustainable no um will you touch aspects of the aerobic pathway with that yes is it the complete picture no and you know, America in particular, I'll pick on America, there's this, you can have it all and it's going to cost even less time and less, you know, effort and blah, 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 blah. We can get this done in four minutes. Not true. Okay. The biggest predictor of aerobic capacity is training volume. 
look at look at the training distribution of even uh, one kilometer time trial alpine skiers. That is an event that's over in three minutes. They do upwards of 70 hours of zone one, zone two continuous activity per month. So am I saying that team sport athletes should go out and do hours and hours and hours of cardio? No, but you know, therein lies the clue. If you agree, the aerobic system is necessary and valuable for repeat high intensity activity. And you agree that training volume is the biggest predictor of aerobic capacity. You then have to follow, okay, well, there's, it, there's a necessary price to pay. So the way that I phrase it to sport coaches is, let's say you want a baby. How long does it take to make a baby? And the best answer I ever had from a coach was three minutes. But <laughs> it's nine it's months. Very yeah, it's nine months. Yeah, yeah, it's nine months. What happens if I really, really, really want a baby? Can I try twice as hard and have one in four and a half months? No, I can't. Okay, it takes as long as it takes. So there is a necessary price that has to be paid in order to derive the adaptations that you want. And it's not going to happen any faster and you can't cheat your way to it. What you can do is you can uh, you can look at and say, well, what are the conditions that elicit the adaptation that we desire, and is there a way that we can kind of like backdoor it, you know, based on the 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 overall balance? You say, okay, well, one of the adaptations that may come from long duration uh, continuous aerobic work is uh, eccentric hypertrophy of um, the left ventricle. Okay, what tends to elicit that? Maximum diastole. What tends to uh, lead to that? Heart rate of 110 to 130. Um, you know, you can increase it a little bit if they're uh, stood up. So you say, okay, could we do uh, a strength or power session and keep an eye on the heart rate and say maybe that's one way that we can do it? Could we do skill circuits and build it into the sport practice? Can we do tempo running? So the advantage of tempo running, which you touched on, is tempo running is an opportunity to rehearse high-intensity skills in a low-stakes environment and to preserve the mechanics that you want to see. So if I go out, for example, and I do a 5K run, my heart rate is absolutely going to be in um, the zone that would lead to the adaptation. But... I'm training myself to run like somebody running a 5K. If I take that same um, heart rate and I achieve it with uh, intermittent higher intensity running where I'm able to rehearse the skill of running and be relaxed and coordinated and, and exhibit rhythm, I'm still doing this with my heart rate and getting the internal physiological adaptation that I want, but I am reinforcing the mechanics of, of running fast. And that's probably the biggest value of tempo is that you're able to indirectly achieve what it is you want to do bioenergetically or morphologically, but there's that maintenance of sport technique. And it's just repetition is the mother of skill. If this is, you know, one of the things I like to take the piss out of coaches in America or, you know, coaches in general, if you want to be a world-class pianist, what do you have to do every day? Play the piano. If you want to be a Michelin-starred chef, what should you do every single day? Cook. If you want to be absolutely elite at 
sprint running <laughs> in a repeated fashion again and again and again in the most sustainable fashion possible back squat it's bullshit if you want to be the best you know most most team sports most combat sports you know sorry not combat most team sports are sprinting and dot 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 whatever that dot 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 is you better be really fucking good at those movements and if you want to be elite at those movements all things being equal he or she who practices the most wins so if i can do the most with the caveat that technique's awesome I'm hitting my bioenergetic goals. I'm not interrupting recovery. I'm not interrupting my ability to exhibit high intensity actions on the high days. Why wouldn't I do that? Right. Right. So, when so I, um, I had somebody tell me something once and it, and it stuck with me forever. Uh, and it kind of, kind of reframed what I was first getting into getting out of pure strength sports and getting into, uh, strength conditioning for, you know, people that actually needed to have a motor. Um, the, uh, the idea that, you know, I came, I came in with this idea that there was strength and there was conditioning and they were separate and, and really this kind of shook the whole thing up for me was the idea that energy systems are everything and everything as energy systems, right? Mm -hmm. Everything yeah. you do in life is one of the three energy systems and, uh, and understanding that, uh, nothing happens in a vacuum with the body like that, you know, and, and they're all running at the same time, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and, and you can't just say, well, this is, this is going to be anaerobic. And, you know, I, I know that the, the old, uh, saying is, you know, coaches need to stop looking at the watch and start watching the players. And, yeah. and, and, and that goes back, you know, you talk about American football and people say, oh, well, you know, that they drive for 10 minutes and they need to run, you know, 300s or, or uh, gassers or whatever, and uh, where really these guys are out playing for, what, five-second, eight-second bouts? 5.2. Yeah. Average, <laughs> mixed, mixed offense, <laughs> average 5.2 seconds. Special yeah. teams, eight to ten. <laughs> I'm disappointed you don't have it down to the hundredth. So, <laughs> the, uh, you know, and, and the, uh, well, you, you mentioned reverse engineering, and, mm -hmm. and that's, something a lot of people miss that they, they try to think in terms of, uh, you know, most of us to get into this and, and you probably have a different background than many. Cause I know you did, you played rugby and a lot of us get in this cause we're, we're meatheads and we're bad athletes mm -hmm. and so we tend yeah. to divert our thinking and our biases to, or we try to divert our thinking and our philosophy to our biases. And, and, you know, we like the weight room and we, we hate losing. Uh, so we, we did a lot of losing on the field, but the weight room was always a happy place. So we tend to divert our thinking mm -hmm. to uh, things that we can measure with purely a stopwatch or purely the load on the bar, put an Excel spreadsheet. And, Substitution and, bias. Are you familiar yeah, with that? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think the, the analogy with the baby is a great one because if you are, and, and I'm going to steal a term from Annie on a couple podcasts back, she talked about some of these morphological, these sticky adaptations, the ones that take a while to develop, but they also stick around for a while. Mm -hmm. Someone told me, honestly, it might've been you, Kier, you might've posted about this. They said that these are adaptations that are slow cooked. They're not microwaved. You have to extend your kind of exposure to these. And like Annie said, that's, that's not sexy and it requires a good amount of volume. So how do you as a coach, when you're working with these mixed athletes, balance that? How do you balance if they're a mixed athlete or maybe if they're even a dual sport athlete, how do you balance those time constraints? 
it's always going to be context dependent because you know if you're for example working in the pros there's going to be no real limitation on the amount of training that you can do or the access that you have to the athlete whereas if you work in the ncaa there's going to be hard limits on the amount of time that you can spend with an athlete class schedules blah 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 but it's, it's you're always going to be um trying to say well what does it here's a useful exercise that i try and do is when whenever you are beginning with an athlete or a sport or a project your your job initially is to define what elite looks like because if you just assume that the best people in the world at that event just naturally have all of the qualities that are required to excel at that level because the truth is some athletes are so talented they're going to succeed regardless you just need to get out of their way Usain Bolt eats chicken nuggets and plays PlayStation you ran 958 right if you if you make that assumption then you look at you look at the the makeup of an elite athlete and then you say okay based on this level of performance there is a certain physical or physiological barrier that must be cleared and then you look at your athlete and then you say okay well based on what elite looks like and where my athlete is now let's look at how how do you measure up where's the weakness so it, it could be that for example you say okay well let's use an example uh elite level um rugby union you certainly want a heart rate in the 50s resting heart rate um you know in the 40s might be ideal i once had an athlete test with a resting heart rate of 75 beats a minute which is very high we had another guy that had a 38 do both of those athletes need a ton of zone one zone two uh endurance work no you know the, the guy that's 75 may, maybe needs it and the guy that's 38 doesn't need it so what you have to do is look at where does the biggest discrepancy lie between what the event demands or the, the, the level that you're operating at demands and what the athlete needs right now? And what's, what's the most targeted intervention that you can come up with to address that discrepancy? Because the likelihood is the bigger the difference between the barriers to entry and what the athlete has, the more likely it is that, that is the limiting factor. So it's going to be what the individual needs what are the resources that I have available and, you know, can, can you make it work based on the constraints that you're, you're working under? To all my students listening, this is one of the most successful strength coaches talking about a needs analysis. I told you that shit was important and none of you listened to me and now you fucking know. <laughs> so here I'm, uh, I'm interested into, you know, in, in the world that the, the three of us inhabit uh, where we're, Primarily working one-on-one -on -one with people, uh, mostly remotely. Uh, mm -hmm. It's it's very. I mean, it, it, it's no less important to do the needs analysis and understand where they're at and address the constraints, like you mentioned. But uh, it's it's easier to do because we're looking at individuals. We're operating on an individual level, programming on an individual level, assessing mm -hmm. on an individual level. How do you translate that to the team sports environment where you you maybe have like when you with William and Mary, you know, you have what. Uh, 75 scholarship players and yes um, I, I think it's 67 but I mean the full roster was 103 yeah yeah so uh, up, upwards of 100 total players to work yeah. with and uh, and not only that but you've got 
uh, you know, the 20 hours a week at the Division One level, and I don't know if it's lower uh, for the, the FCS level um, of, of time that you can spend with them. You know, how, how do you uh, build personalization, individualization into a program that's so group-oriented? The truth is, is that you you have to meet in the middle. You know, the, the cookie cutter, everyone's the same approach, it's not going to work. And as much as it would upset the students and their parents, everyone is not an individual snowflake that is going to get perfect personal attention. Mm-hmm. So to steal from Dan Path, you have like the, the bucket approach. Yeah. Are there groups of athletes that tend to share similar deficiencies or similar strengths or similar um, ways in which they solve movement-based problems? Mm-hmm. So I'll give you a, a real example from this year. What we did was we, we laid out and we said, you know, based on um, what elite looks like in each of the main position groups and the tools that we have available to test, what does elite look like? If you want to be an elite nose tackle, what do you have to hit for a 10? What do you have to hit for a fly 10? What should your upper body strength look like? What should your lower body strength look like? What should your vert look like? What should your RSI look like? How far should you broad jump? What should your output look like in the conditioning test? And then we come up with uh, a profile for each position. And then next we look at the athletes that we have available and we say, well, what are the the physiological barriers that they they have to achieve in order to be, in our opinion, all conference, which I think is, you know, within one standard deviation to me, uh, oh, pardon me, uh, a squad player, which is within one standard deviation to me, all conference, which is more than one standard deviation above. And I think the, the All-American is like one and a half to two standard deviations above, which is basically you shouldn't be at this school, which is going to be like a couple, a couple of guys. So then you say, right, okay, well, based on where you're at, let's look at what do we feel is the missing piece of the puzzle right now that would that would be the most sensible investment of the time, energy, and resources that we have available to move you along that line towards where we want you to be. And it was almost like a, an algorithm or, or decision-making tree. So mm-hmm. the first question we asked this year was, do you have a persistent injury issue or a recent injury issue that is going to be a major impediment to your availability? Because if nothing else, keep them on the field and keep practicing their sport. Because... Uh, a strong, fast, powerful person that's shit at football is going to get beaten every single time by somebody who's a master of their sport. Mm-hmm. So if, if the answer to that question was yes, you are going to receive a highly focused intervention to address the limiting factors associated with that injury. And I should have said, everything that we're doing, speed, so acceleration, VMAX, Agility, efforts, combative efforts, jumps, ballistic power, strength, accessories, conditioning, and that's it. We're asking ourselves, if we were going to put our foot to the floor and develop this quality as fast as possible, what would the intensity look like? What would the volume look like? And what would the frequency look like per week? Versus if we were going to retain those abilities, what would it look like? Okay. So... If you answer yes, this person is on, we, we call it team rice paper. If you're on team rice paper, you're going to get four sessions a week of highly focused 
typically unilateral work because you tend to be injured on one side and we're going to look at KPIs associated with that injury and we're going to hammer them and try and bring them up. Okay. If you answered no to that question, we're going to ask, do you have the level of lean mass and body composition that we think that you need to hang in this position? And the reason we ask that first is, if you don't, should we be focusing on maximal strength? No, because there's a certain level of muscle mass that has to be uh, held in order to develop maximal strength. That's why uh, powerlifting has weight classes. So are you within a standard deviation of your positional norms? Have you already gained a significant amount of weight? Because if you have, guess what? You're not going to gain much more. Most college athletes can gain 30 pounds of good weight in their career. If they gain more than that, it's because they got really fat in the process. They have a massive frame or they're a freak. Okay, that's just a fact. The position picks the athlete, not the other way around. If you answer, you know, you're, you're undersized for your position, okay, you're just going to be on the seafood diet and you're going to be lifting heavy weights four times a week and everything else gets a retention loading. If you answer, okay, yes, you are in, in the ballpark for how big you need to be for your position, we'll say, right, okay, maximal strength. Can you hit? a 1.5-ish uh, bodyweight back squat. How powerful you need to be to actually be fast, people grossly overestimate, okay? Matt Ray and Dave Ballou at Alabama now have demonstrated that after a 1.3 to 1.5, nothing's really happening. Oh, it may be a 1.7. Nothing's really happening. I can get most freshmen to that within a year, okay? In terms of a bench press, it's like 1.3, 1.5 again. Um, can you hit those numbers? If yes, okay, we'll move you up to the next level. If no, you're going to get a ton of strength intervention. If you can hit those numbers, how do you jump? Do you have a good level of explosive strength? So now we're not just interested in um, how much force can you produce. We're interested in how quickly can you apply the force that you have because our job is to create impulse, force multiplied by time, and then you're going to get all of the high-speed interventions, ballistic power, uh, jumps, throws, plyometrics, all that good stuff. And then lastly, if you can hit those numbers, then we're mostly interested in, can you apply it with the appropriate level of coordination in the form of speed? Because speed is, yes, you do need to produce a large amount of force, but typically it's mostly going to be about the outflow from the CNS and the coordination to apply that force in a highly specific focus manner. So you have Team Rice paper, Team, get bigger, strength, power, and speed. Five buckets. So, so you, it sounds like you uh, you kind of divide the team up by by needs, and I I know the common terminology is big skill and big skill. Yep. Um, you know, and, and maybe there's there's some other uh, smaller groups there, specialists, quarterbacks, etc. Mm -hmm. Football example, right? Um, so you basically you divide up by the positional needs. And then you you classify by where they fall. KPI so, the way around. Again, it's it's almost like a spectrum. So, the truth is, most positions <clears throat> in any in any field based sport are going to make their money by doing one or two things at an elite level, and everything else they're okay at mm -hmm. or they're good at. So. writing down what those things are or asking the question what is it that makes you most fatigued when you play the sport 
effectively you're defining SPP, specialized physical preparation. Those are the things that you need to be improving your speed of movement in, in order to say as a strength condition coach or a physical preparation coach, I've done my job. Mm. However, uh, outputs in those movements exist atop uh, a foundation of general physical outputs. So again, it's, it's that, that conflict. If you just practice the skills of your position, uh, you're going to get very, very good at applying and expressing the potential that you have, mm-hmm. but you can't express what you don't have. So developing uh, maximal power, maximal speed, maximal strength in general movements and addressing limiting factors exists in the early preseason or off-season and then expressing those adaptations within the context of your position or the demands of the sport goes to the expression end of the curriculum, uh, the, the, the preparation. So again, it's like, if, if I had to describe the annual preparation, it's, are we in shape? You know, have we earned the right to train with high intensity, high volume, high frequency in, in key abilities? Are we gonna address rate limiting factors to just increase the potential that we can tap into. Then we're going to start to get into the, the SPP. So let's get really, really good at expressing those qualities within the context of the position. Then you get into camp and it's just tactical, technical, and everything else gets retained. And then you get into the in-season. Okay. So, and I, and I guess my, my point in the asking about the position groups was because of the, uh, especially in a sport like football where there's, there's, Morphologically, there's a huge very degree of variance between different positions. I guess maybe I'm understanding a little better now. Uh, you're speaking like, you know, there's these five buckets of players based on needs and how fast one individual athlete may progress from bucket one to bucket two to bucket three mm-hmm. may be more defined by the needs of their position. Is, is, is that maybe? Yeah, yeah. So you're, 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 you're effectively creating an elite profile for each position. Understood, yeah. So for example, like, um, you know, I'm 180 pounds. I, I, can, I can hit the, the back squat and uh, bench press numbers that we've said are generally important. Am I ever gonna play left tackle? Yeah. No. Well, Absolutely. firstly, whoever recruited me <laughs> made a big mistake because I'm not 6'5 plus. And second, you know, I don't weigh in, in the neighborhood of 300 pounds. So we're looking at the, this is why it's expressed at, uh, relative to the mean of your position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for example, you know, if you're a running back, are you in the region of 200 pounds? If you're a receiver, are you in the region of at least 165 or that kind of stuff? So it, it's going to vary by position. But one thing that you also have to be wary of is there are archetypes within positions. So you can be a Megatron receiver or you can be a Hollywood Brown receiver. One's 225. The other one, I think when he finished college, was 148 pounds. Mm-hmm. So this is the, the really interesting and frustrating thing about team sports is there are multiple solutions available to solve movement-based problems within that sport. Whereas if you work in a in you know track and field, it's run fast, turn left, even though there is some variation between that. Well, I, I really like that, that idea of thinking about uh, – kind of athletic taxonomy from the terms of, of properties and adaptations and then you can um, 
develop the progression for each individual athlete between those. That's that that's a really uh, kind of a unique way of looking at it. I think I think people tend to uh, you know have like work with like no matter what, and and taking it back and almost reversing that framework. That's a very interesting concept. So is is this constant push pull between opposing ideas because. You know, Stuart McMillan would say all elite athletic performance comes from a position of, position of strength. Mm-hmm. But you have that conflicting philosophy that says, well, if you, have a, if you have a weakness, we need to remove that weakness. So you're going to address weakness or express strength? You can, the truth is you, you do both throughout the year, but you have to understand the appropriate time to do each one. Are you going to train for your position? Or are you just going to train the general outputs to support your position? You know, um, tactical, technical versus physical. There's, there's this constant flow throughout the year and it's it's basically uh, judgment and I think how you know how accurate your model of reality is that's gonna dictate when you do what and why Andy you said you had two questions not too long ago you only asked one of them did the other one elude you no I still got it I still got let's it let's hear it let it rip out, but it is a frustration that I had this very week so currently um i've moved up here i've taken a small bit of contract work with a a college up here and they're really cool about allowing input into programming which is something i haven't experienced previously when i was in the um, collegiate strength and conditioning world eons ago um so we talked quite a bit about recovery as well in between uh different stimulus and then comes a bad practice with their skill coach and comes penalty sprints and just sucky gassers for the sake of penalty. And that is where the overall volume and the uh, my programming and everyone's programming kind of gets thrown out the window. What, and sometimes these programs aren't terribly agile when it comes to those more fragile adaptations. What is your, is this a frustration is this general? Because I could be brand new to the game in um, smaller colleges. Um, is this common? And also, what uh, what it do? How I be around this? <laughs> I, I always think that's like it's like keying your own car. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm gonna fucking show this, and it's like, hey, dude, you just did that to your own car. <laughs> I think it 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 goes back to that kind of like discourse with sport coaches and. One, one thing that's really helpful is I am not my idea. You are not your idea. All you are is the advocate for the idea and you should operate in an environment where you can critique ideas and ask questions in the pursuit of truth. Not saying you're going to arrive there, but some, some things are truer than others. Um, it it kind of goes to that you're asking the sport coach why. So a real good friend of mine, excellent coach, his name's Tom Farrow. He said, anything you do, I'm going to ask you why five questions. Uh, so I'm going to ask you why five times. If you're still with me after the fifth why, it stays. In. So you say, right, why are we doing uh, punishment conditioning uh, to build mental toughness? Why? Why, 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 why? And basically they'll, they'll come up with some bullshit. They, they won't even be able to stick with you with, with five whys. It will be because you want to punish them for making errors. Well, um, you know, will they, will they gain 
psychologically from being punished? No. Most athletes know they fucked up. Have you increased uh, the amount of fatigue uh, expended without actually making them better at their sport? Yes. Does that increase the risk of injury or affect what happens later on in the program today, tomorrow? Yes. Um, what is the reason that they made the error in the first place? Well, it could be they don't know because you didn't coach them well enough. Uh, it could be because um, they are making errors due to a lack of exposure to that situation or being given the appropriate tools to respond to that situation. You cannot master an environment that you didn't inhabit. So the idea that a shortcoming tactically, technically, and psychologically is going to be solved physically at the expense of other stuff which you've said elsewhere in the program is valuable is a false one. So if, if the weakness is psychological, mental toughness, focus, concentration are context-specific. So you're going to get better at stressing yourself in progressively more intense environments doing the thing that you failed at. Uh, tactically, how few athletes will you ever encounter that can accurately describe the tactical objectives of what they're doing? You know, what, what is it you're trying to do? I couldn't do it until I was in my early 30s. Um, which is, you know, we want to create and convert uncontested scoring opportunities via the creation of space and attack, which gives you time, and via shutting that down in defense. How do you do that? Force, speed, misdirection, or a combination thereof. You know, nobody ever talks about that. So if they don't understand that, maybe they would understand better if you told it to them. And then when you get to the technical piece, you're talking about what movement tools do you have available to solve those tactical problems, how often do you practice them? How creatively do you use them? How refined are they in those movements? To me, addressing the problem from those three areas is going to move the needle far more than any kind of physical punishment without fucking them for the next day, increasing the risk of injury, and wasting time that could be spent on the sport. That's a difficult conversation to have, but that's the one that I'd have. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one I will navigate in the next few weeks if I need to. But <laughs> I, I don't know if that's terribly common. Um, like I oh, said, yeah, of course. I just feel like I am uh, in a scenario as a strength coach where I'm new. I'm new to this specific school. I'm yeah. entering the SNC world uh, on a limited basis. I don't want to travel. And um, I got to be really careful on how I say this is a big fucking mistake. Yeah. You know, the, the delicate way of saying that, the ladylike way to say that. It, it, you know, is, is it a male coach? Yes, yeah. Even harder, yeah. I mean, <laughs> what, what you... It's tough being a girl with these guys. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing about those, those conversations, and this, this is a difficult thing because when you're a coach, you're always up against the clock, especially in the pros because you have limited duration contracts that you're expected to start making progress in order to earn the next contract. The problem is, is that people uh, and organizations tend to evolve and change at the pace that they're comfortable with. And it's typically the most senior person. So if the most senior person is comfortable with a high rate of change, everyone is going to change at that pace. And if not, they can leave. If the person above you, 
And as much as they like to say that we work with strength coaches, they're above you and you work for them, is not comfortable with that pace of change. You're only going to change at the pace that is comfortable to them. And the right message delivered um, in the wrong format is just as good as the wrong message. So nobody cares how right you are if they think that you're a dickhead. So the frustrating thing is that you may want to uh, talk and act a certain way to address what you know to be a problem. But unless that they feel that you have their interests at heart and that you have a shared desire for success and, and what that looks like, it's just going to do this. You know, so building, taking the time and biting your tongue, which is really, really hard, especially for me, but building that relationship and saying, okay, well, what is it that you value the most? And always couching your argument in, in terms of what it is that they want and what they feel to be important. And understanding that sometimes when they use a certain definition, um, you know what they mean rather than the definitions are wrong and all that kind of stuff. And then it's kind of like that kind of Buddhist thing of when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And asking questions rather than telling. I, I know a sport coach and he, he admits it now and he's, he's come on tremendously. But a colleague of mine basically had a conversation with him. He said, do you agree with the idea that how you condition for your sport should be directly related to the demands of your sport? And he'd say, yes. He said, right, okay. Define the demands of your sport. And he was like, he goes, how long's the average play? And he's like, I don't know. I said, right, how long's the average rest? And he's like, I don't know. How many plays on average before you get a long rest? I don't know. How long's the rest? I don't know. And then hopefully these like light bulbs are popping up in his head. Like, actually, I don't know my sport. But rather than saying, you don't know your sport, you just ask a series of questions where it pops in. They're like, fuck, I don't know my sport. And he said that. He said he, he actually left the meeting angry because he was forced to realize that the sport that he's a master of, he doesn't know. Yeah, yeah incredible. Incredible around, um, amount of uh, the communication piece of coaching is something that uh, I feel as I've come a long way. I feel if I could go back 10 years and be uh, 23-year-old Annie again uh, mm -hmm. at a different Division One college, I would have said so many things differently. Um, and this is just another one of those pieces where I, I paused and yeah. had a good think about it, still having a good think about it. I still need to, to feel out the, the atmosphere and decide yeah. you know, what, what's going to be productive. But I, I, I appreciate that input. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. It is a tough one. And the, the likelihood is if you're in this field, there are introverted coaches, but if you're in this field, you're typically going to be a type A extroverted personality that's going to speak your mind. Yeah. And my, my mentor who first took me on always said to me, he said, your biggest strength is going to be your biggest weakness. So what, Oof. what helps you as a strength and conditioning coach sometimes hurts you. And that's one example where just be like, this is fucking bullshit. You don't know what you're doing. Blah, 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 blah. It does not help you. <laughs> In life, my big mouth is my big problem. It's also yep. advocate. It's, I've advocated for myself a lot, but that you're absolutely right. My big stupid mouth <laughs> got me into all types of trouble, all of it. So, 
Tom, before we before we send this thing on its way, is there anything you wanted to circle back to? Anything you wanted to revisit or touch upon? No, I, I think I think Kier has probably given us more nuggets here than we uh, we really even expected. So this has been great. Yeah. On on the topic of nuggets, Kier, I, I wanted to ask you one final question, and it's I, I wanted to give you some kudos because when you do the Ask Me Anythings on your story, there's very few people that when the thing at the top is so small you can barely even see it that I'll stop and read it. I'll just, you know, swipe right past it. But for you, I'll always stop when I always read them. I'm like, fuck, man. I had the former president of the NSCA teach my strength conditioning class. Where was all this shit? All this shit was was just it wasn't <laughs> there. I never got any of this. So I have to I have to give you a big shout out and a thank you there. Um, but but one other thing on, on the side of that, and I, I, I'm sure that it's something that bothers you a little bit, is the way that ask people ask questions is just so unproductive that it handcuffs or it hamstrings you to the point where you can't effectively answer their question. So when people are asking you these questions, what are some tips you might have for them of how they can ask a more productive question outside of like, instead of getting the questions that are like, why I not run fast? Yeah. My, my kind of rule of thumb is if, if you can Google it with enough effort, I'm not going to answer or I'm going to roast <laughs> yes. you because yep. where, where I feel the value of that kind of exercise is, is where there is no right answer. And it's, you know, how do you exercise judgment? Because it can be, it can be tough to exercise judgment when you haven't been in a certain situation a lot of times. When you have been in that situation and you're able to say, you know, well, this, this worked for me in this situation. It didn't work in this situation. Here are the factors that go into that decision. That is a lot more uh, useful and valuable to people, I think. And that's why it tends to be uh, popular, you know, I'll do like a Q and A, get like fifty questions, um, and I think that's why certain people like it. And I think, an, you know, another reason why people like it is because if if it is a bullshit question, I will say it's a bullshit question. <laughs> and I think also it's like if 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 I think something's dumb, I'm probably a little bit more forthcoming than some other people in saying that I think it's dumb, whether it upsets people or not. I don't know, but yeah, I think it's if, if you can Google it, you're gonna get roasted. <laughs> so I, I have I have one non Google question here. Here, mm -hmm. um, so I'll give you a hypothetical question or scenario. I'll, I'm just interested in in what your response is. So you are um, required to fight one member of the Wu Tang Clan, drawn at random. Who is it not going to be? Who do you hope you don't get? ODB. <laughs> yeah, a man with with that constitution, all hopped up on various uh, extracurriculars. I would not fight. <laughs> I really, I really appreciate how quick that answer came because that was mine too. So it's a simple one, dude. Come on. <laughs> That's all I've got. Yeah, yeah, I don't think there's any other acceptable answer to that question right there, nah. but. Uh, Kier, let the people know where they can find you, Instagram, Facebook, Strength Coach Network. We'll have links to all of that in the in the show notes below so you guys can find all that. But just let the people know. Yeah, I mean, if you search on all the socials for um, Rugby Strength Coach, uh, that will normally pop up. If you search Rugby Strength and Conditioning on Google, normally I'm fairly up there. And then uh, strengthcoachnetwork.com. 
Awesome. Yeah. So everyone check out the description below. You will have all links to all of those. We definitely recommend joining Strength Coach Network if you are a strength coach or if you're just a hobbyist who wants to learn a little bit more about kind of the actual art of strength coaching outside of the basic information that you get. Tom, where can the people find you? It's uh, Tomas underscore Neil on IG, and that's the only social media I have. Don't look for me on Twitter. He's on Twitter. He's on Twitter. Find him. <laughs> Annie, where are you? I am exclusively on Instagram at, at Annie Gun Show. That's a lie. She just activated her Facebook again. Send all feet pictures. Annie Romata. If you need it, just email me. I got you. I'll send, I'll send that link over. Here, thanks again for your time. We really appreciate you coming on. Everyone, thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. And as always, stay gifted, guys. See ya.